Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 24, but before I read, I want to address verse 1, which sets the stage for the whole chapter and the ensuing events. I'll go into it more in detail afterwards, but in order to help evaluate what we read, I think it's important to do this first. The World English Bible translation is comparable to the others that says, Again, Yahweh's anger burned against Israel, and he moved David against them, saying, Go count Israel and Judah. It will become clear this was a sinful thing for David to do, but we know these things about God. We know he's good. We know he does not tempt people to do evil. See James chapter 1, verse 13. Rebellion is always the cause of sin, rebellion against God by people, though God uses all things according to his perfect knowledge and masterful weaving of all things. And third, God doesn't come up with sinful ideas, as example is given in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 5. So there is a difference between God knowing all things and being the source of wicked ideas. Those are two different things. Then you can add into the mix Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, that gives us some understanding of what David may have done wrong, and 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, that gives the same account saying that Satan moved David. So the he here in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 24 may refer to Satan, or it may refer to God saying something like, I give you over to this sin you have set your heart on. And we'll talk about it more later, like I said. So that's the introduction, and let's go ahead and read 2 Samuel chapter 24. Again, Yahweh's anger burned against Israel, and he moved David against them, saying, Go, count Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the captain of the army who was with him, Now go back and forth through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the sum of the people. Joab said to the king, Now may Yahweh your God add to the people, however many they may be, one hundred times, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. They passed over the Jordan and encamped in Eror, on the right side of the city that is in the middle of the valley of Gad, and to Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim Hodshi, and they came to Danjan and around to Sidon, and came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone back and forth through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab gave up the sum of the counting of the people to the king, and there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men. 
David's heart struck him after he had counted the people. David said to Yahweh, I have sinned greatly in that which I have done. But now, Yahweh, put away, I beg you, the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. When David rose up in the morning, Yahweh's word came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David. Yahweh says, I offer you three things. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days' pestilence in your land? Now answer, and consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in distress. Let us fall now into Yahweh's hand, for his mercies are great. Let me not fall into man's hand. So Yahweh sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning even to the appointed time, and seventy thousand men died of the people, from Dan even to Beersheba. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, Yahweh relented of the disaster and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Now withdraw your hand. Yahweh's angel was by the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. David spoke to Yahweh when he saw the angel who struck the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done perversely, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, build an altar to Yahweh on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. David went up according to the saying of Gad as Yahweh commanded. Araunah looked out and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. Then Araunah went out and bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. Araunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy your threshing floor to build an altar to Yahweh, that the plague may be stopped from afflicting the people. Araunah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Behold, the cattle for the burnt offering, and the threshing instruments, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All this, O king, does Araunah give to the king. Araunah said to the king, May Yahweh your God accept you. The king said to Araunah, No, but I will most certainly buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to Yahweh my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. David built an altar to Yahweh there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So Yahweh was entreated for the land and the plague was removed from Israel. That is the end of chapter 24 and the end of Samuel. Okay, so now let's consider a few more things about verse 1. It says, again, Yahweh's anger burned. Well, think about all the fighting and rebellion against his obvious anointed king. And if they were doing that, they were probably doing a lot of other wicked things as rebellious people do. And getting back again to how David was incited to take this census, There are many other examples of Satan tempting and God or Jesus saying, be on your way or go on ahead and do what you want to do. And I'm going to link to a website, studylight.org, Kaufman's commentaries that talks about what I'm summarizing here. But for instance, when Judas was getting ready to betray Christ, 
in John chapter 13, verse 27, Jesus says, what you're going to go do, go do quickly. Um, in Numbers chapter 22, verse 35, when Balaam keeps trying to go help the kings of Moab by cursing Israel, God finally says, go, in the tone of, you want to go so badly, just go ahead. And then in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verses 18 through 22, you have the interesting story in a pathetic way of King Ahab, who is very wicked. He has practiced much wickedness, and he wants blessing and victory for his wicked decisions, but he knows of a certain prophet, Micah, who tells him what's real and what's true. And then in this particular case, in the section I'm talking about, Micah even tells him that a lying spirit has been been sent to the other prophets to persuade him to go into this battle, and Ahab goes ahead into the battle. Um, Other examples of God using other people's sin for good are Joseph's brothers. Um, The instance where Pharaoh hardens his own heart first, and then God lets him be stuck there to uh, show all of what he needs to show there. Then you have Job, where um, Satan is given permission to afflict him, which is not unlike in Luke 22, where Jesus says that Satan has asked to sift Peter and is allowed to do that. Uh, In Romans chapter 124, it talks about God giving people over to their delusions. And also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, it says that in days to come, because people did not receive the love of the truth that God gave them over to a delusion. But Satan or whomever means things for evil, and God uses them for good for those who love God, Romans 8, 28. But let me also read a bit of a quote from this uh, website that I'm referencing, studylight.org. It says, The sinful error of biblical critics who slander the character of God himself, basing their allegations upon a single isolated text, is primarily the result of a false method of interpretation. There is no isolated text that should be interpreted without consideration of the light that falls upon it from other biblical declarations. Satan certainly justified his appeal for Christ to jump off the pinnacle of the temple if only the text that Satan quoted had been considered. But Jesus reminded him of what was also written in, um, read this in Matthew 4, 7, the whole counsel of God is never available in some isolated text. End quote. Now let's talk about this census for a little bit. It's curious to me that even Joab, who is, is a murderer, um, and then the other captains are also against this census. They should have stuck to their guns about their convictions and refused to help King David to sin. And then in verses five through seven, we have a description of how they went border to border. This census was very thoroughly done. It's interesting that Judah which frequently includes Benjamin, had so many more men proportionally than compared to the other 10 or 11 tribes, depending on how that counting was done. Then we see that God doesn't confront David first, but David's conscience convicts him. He kind of asks for forgiveness. Unlike with Bathsheba, he is not told outright he is forgiven, and the tone of it and the way Gad's message, the prophet Gad's message comes across, make me think God is trying to bring David to a sincere and absolute repentance. So he gives him some interesting options for justice. King David's choice, 
sounds spiritual, but I'm not convinced. It actually seems a bit cowardly to me and like he's not really accepting responsibility. He's willing to let other people die instead of feel the full effects himself. And I also get this when we read about the second time he says he has sinned in verse 17. He says, I have done perversely, but these sheep. Now, on one hand, we know that Yahweh's anger is always justified and we all deserve to die for our sin. Plus, in light of both Old Testament and New Testament, I believe any and all of the people who died could have at any time looked to God for individual mercy, whether physical or and spiritual. Consider the, bla- the brass serpent in Numbers 21. But also, there was obviously evil in the land, moral evil, and God's chastening is always meant to lead us to repentance. We see this played out throughout Scripture. Let's take a moment to consider the timeline. It's not stated specifically when this census took place, and we are told in the previous chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 23, that those were David's last words. But last words, as one Uh, source pointed out that I read, sorry, I can't remember where, might have been more of a legal or a worship statement, not that he was on his deathbed. So it's quite possible that the incident with the census took place after that was recorded. Also, the reference to the length of the proposed seven-year famine in verse 13 indicates that this occurred sequentially to the famine relating to the Gibeonites in chapter 1, and this is corroborated by timelines in the chronology of the Old Testament by Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones that I've mentioned before. I also ran into a discussion of this when looking up things about verse 1, and so compare 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verses 11 through 12. I will link to an Answers in Genesis article that explains how the supposed discrepancy here is likely a matter of perspective. You'll see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it talks about a three-year famine. So probably whoever wrote Samuel was fresh from telling about the previous three years of famine and the nearly one year of census taking. And this next time period got all linked together. We don't know how long it took to carry out the events in 2 Samuel 21 or how much that may have overlapped with the taking of the census. So that may account for the seven years there. And whoever wrote First Chronicles was just concentrating on the events of the census. So they limited their statements to just the three years. So God sent the pestilence, per David's request or choice. One must remember that just because something is hard or disciplinary for us doesn't make it morally evil. Natural evil, as in the fallen condition of this physical world, is the result of people introducing and fostering sin in this world. Yes, some physical destruction comes directly as a result of the actions of sin, such as war. Some comes from ignorance, such as drinking polluted water, but some exists because of the curse of sin on the whole world, always to remind us of what sin does to the world that God created as very good. And God allows that curse to affect us according to his wisdom, but never even to the full extent we deserve until we have passed from this life to what follows and face judgment. Up until that point, we always have a chance to turn our hearts to him in repentance. In verse 17, we hear about angels. God has angels that carry out things for him. 
Recall 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, where Elisha prays that his servant will see the army that is there to protect them. And then also in 2 Kings but chapter 19, verse 35, we have Isaiah and Hezekiah um, having an army, well, just actually one angel killing a whole army of 185,000 men. There are things going on in the heavenly realm that we usually can't see and apparently are not supposed to see or be concerned about most of the time. The version in 1 Chronicles 21 of the angel, however, is much more vivid. Let me read verse 16 to you. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And it is at this point that David seems to truly repent. And then the prophet Gad simply gives instructions for David to approach God appropriately via a sacrifice and worship. First Chronicles 21 verse 20 tells the story that in the way that the angel was apparently visible right at the threshing floor, also to the man who was there threshing with his sons. It's spelled a little differently, but it's the same guy. So that makes his offer to give David the threshing floor a little more dramatic. I can just picture him saying, no, here, take these things. Do whatever sacrifices you need to, not just in humbleness to the king, but in fear of what he was seeing of God's power. Then getting back to 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, it emphasizes the idea of a sacrifice. We sacrifice for what we love and what is important. If it is not of our own substance, our time, our money, our effort, it is not a sacrifice. Sacrifice is a measure of our devotion and priorities. And then let's just end with a little math. 50 shekels that were paid for all of it in today's money is actually $325.97. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey. 